0: If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the
1: podcast for you. Join me, Joel Ilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Joel Ilovich
0: here, and Lucy Dickens, and Harry, who is. Now six weeks old, but still
1: happily sleeping on my chest. He'll be a little bit older by the time they hear this. He
0: will, he will. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. (laughs) We have two segments in today's episode. First, we have our final piece of advice from our financial planner, Michael Miller, and he's going to share some advice with us about investing. When should we start? What should we invest in? Should we pay off our mortgage? Those kinds of interesting topics.
1: And then we have our interview, which is with a member of our Juggle community and we picked her especially today because one, we always wanted to share her story, and two, because she happens to work in the stockbroking industry.
0: We speak to Jane about all sorts of my favourite topics, including parental leave, breastfeeding, breastfeeding at work, or expressing at work. And she shares her advice around those with us.
1: Yeah. And she also talks about her husband being a stay at home dad, which I think is something that is slowly gaining acceptance in the wider community. But it is so important to keep sharing the stories of people who are doing it and who are making it work so that it stops becoming such an unusual thing that we need to talk about.
0: So before we play the interview with Jane, here's some advice from Michael. In our final segment with Michael Miller from MLC Advice Canberra, we are talking about investing and the question that everybody wants to know the answer to, should we pay off the mortgage or invest our money? Michael is a certified financial planner who owns and runs his practice based in Canberra, but he works with clients based around
1: the country and across the globe. So Michael, we have so many expenses and they just explode when we have kids And it's really easy to just feel like you're constantly just treading water and not really getting ahead. And this idea of investing can seem like a bit of a pipe dream. So, you know, the idea that you might actually have some spare money left over to invest in something, because we already know from a few episodes back that if we've got spare money we probably want to outsource something like cleaning. Or save it for our kids' education. Or save it for our kids' education. So when do we start investing? Or is it all just about paying down the mortgage?
2: I think I can certainly understand where this question comes from because when you're right in the middle of the juggle it just feels like you're not getting anywhere Mm. it's especially pronounced if you used to live quite comfortably on two full-time incomes and now you know there's one or one and a quarter or one and a half it will depend on what your personal circumstances are everybody's probably heard me say that three or four times now Um,
1: lawyers who always say it could be a yes or it could be a no
2: that's right while it probably doesn't feel like you're getting ahead. What's what's potentially happening you know, when when people are right in the middle of the, the juggle is it may not be full-time, but you, you may well be having some employer super contributions paid on your behalf. When you've got the kids, I understand it doesn't at all feel like real money, um, but we also work with people in retirement and you know, it genuinely is real money that will be there for you then. You might also be, you know, if you have a home loan or something like that, uh, you know, you'll be making your payments. You know, each time you make one of those payments, uh, you know, yes, a big part of that is interest, but there's also a part of it's going off you know, repaying the principal on the loan. So
0: am I hearing that we're making investments even if we don't realise we are?
2: A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And that's often something that they're a little bit distant from that day to day. So it doesn't feel like you are, mm. but certainly it is happening. And so What may feel like you're treading water was the the sort of the term used there. You might actually be making some progress. It might be a little bit less than you used to and a little bit less than you might in the future, but just treading water, you are actually making a small bit of progress. So even that question of, well, when should I start looking at or thinking about these things? A lot of the work that I do as a financial planner, it's, it's taking the small decisions that you make every day and those small things that are happening you know, somewhat behind the scenes and helping you to show you know, what that looks like when you stretch it out over a you know, longer 10, 20 or 30 years.
0: Mm. One of the things that I learned, I think just from somebody in a bank, was to pay my home loan repayments weekly rather than or monthly or something because you end up making an extra payment or two I don't know you'd know the details but I've been doing that and it tells you when you make those changes on the on the internet how much time you're going to be saving on paying off your home or how how much quicker you're going to be doing it so I can see what you're saying in terms of small changes making a big difference in the long term
2: and that's where you know I think that what you sort of said is how it shows you on your internet banking where it is when you make <laughs> the change is actually quite useful because, yeah you know, yes, it is a tiny difference. I mean, the interest yeah. saving across a year is probably not a big number that you're going to be over the moon about. But when you look at that in the context of, well, my mortgage used to be 30 years and now it's 28 and a half, or for the sake of making a payment weekly rather than fortnightly, it's it's that ability to see what impact that makes over a longer term that really helps people to actually just sort of stick with it in a lot of ways, you know, the, because the juggle is not always easy.
1: But it's also not the whole of your life, is it? It's just a small part.
2: That's right. But also, yeah, sometimes having that that sort of understanding, something that's showing you, well, this is how that's actually making a difference. That's what you need to sort of keep going until, as you said, you sort of get onto other phases and, and things like that.
1: So, do we need to feel like we have spare money before we come and see a financial planner like you, Michael, or is, do you just jump in? When do you do this?
2: That's where I think it, that showing what the long-term impact is can actually be quite useful, even if it's not the case that you know we've got a whole bunch of spare money to sort of save or invest or anything like that. It can be worth seeing. You know, is there something that I'm that I'm not aware of that might help, but also mm-hmm. just Am I on track? Because when you sit down and have a look at it, the answer might be actually, yes, you are on track. Mm. All that we need you to do right now is keep doing what you're doing. Mm. That can really help with the motivation to know, well, I'm not sitting here treading water and, and you know people worry. So it can take away that worry of, oh, gosh, if I don't do something different now, then you know, I'm not going to be on track later. It can sometimes be the case of saying, no, look, This is how what you're doing now helps and this is how the things that you'll do in the future will also contribute. So right now, just sort of keep going.
0: If we do have some extra money, so maybe we get a bonus or something, we've got a little bit of extra money, what should we do with it?
2: Look, I think certainly if you are lucky enough to have a little bit spare and you're wondering how to use that, that question of should I use this for my mortgage or my super or some other investment, that's one that we deal with all the time. spend a A lot of time with that question of working out what your goals are because that's actually very important to to that particular question. Super, for example, is is very tax effective, but you have to keep it there until you're at least 60 years old. So it's great for your retirement-type goals, but if what you want to do is renovate in five years' time, it may not be the most appropriate use of that money for that goal so that's why we spend a, a fair bit of time on working out well what is it that you're trying to do with that I think certainly I'd like to think you know, I'm not too scary to talk to so what I normally suggest to people is if you are sort of thinking you know, oh I've, I've got some extra I might like to find out what I might do with that I always just suggest call or email and ask um, you know, we can work out together if there's some way that I can be useful in helping with that or if it when that might be appropriate
0: brilliant and we've shared Michael's contact details in the show notes across all of the episodes this month so you can easily find them anywhere
1: thanks Michael it's important for you to know that the contents of these sessions are advice of a general nature only which may not be right for you Michael would love to talk to you more about helping with advice specifically designed for your personal circumstances so make sure to get in touch and book a phone call or virtual appointment for this get in touch with Michael at www.michaelmiller.help. Michael Miller is an authorised representative of GWM Advisor Services, holder of Australian Financial Services Licence Number 230692. And now over to the interview. So next up, we have our interview. Our guest today is Jane Tandy. We first met Jane at one of our lunch events in the city and decided we would love to share her story on the podcast. Jane's the chief operating officer at Patterson's, WA's largest stockbroking and wealth management firm. Not only has she progressed from a dealer's assistant to this high-level position, but she's also one of two women and the only WA rep that sits on the board of the Stockbrokers and Financial Advisors Association of Australia. In that role, she strongly supports increased involvement of women in the finance industry by also serving as a member of the Women in Stockbroking Working Group. Jane's juggle involves managing all of this whilst also mothering an almost 18-month-old and caring for a five-year-old stepson. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me, Jo and Lucy. You're very welcome. We're very excited to be able to talk to you today. But before we talk to you about what life looks like now, we thought we might start with saying, what did life look like before you had a baby?
3: Oh, well, I do have a stepson, so I thought I had an idea of what life would look like with a baby. I didn't really. (laughs) I'd already lost any um, sense of going out or having any fun, but a newborn (laughs) brought a whole other chapter to my life. Um, I guess pre-baby, it was pretty standard life for me. I was traveling a lot for work, focusing on my career, a lot of dinners with my partner, enjoying enjoyable times, nights out that you didn't have to worry about a babysitter.
1: Did you have a goal to get to a certain point in your career before you had your own baby?
3: Yes and no. Like I've been at the same company for 16 years. So my goal's always been still internal. So I was moving um, up within my company and was hoping one day that I'll get to CEO role. I'm not there yet, but I am CEO. love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. That's probably still my goal. I, I never really thought having a baby would stop me from doing any of those things. Once I got older or when I was younger and was looking at degrees and everything, I did actually select a shorter degree. When you're 20, you think you're going to have your babies at 25. Um, yeah. I was 36 yeah. when I had my first baby, so <laughs> by then I was pretty established. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was kind of my goal, and I guess it still is. Yeah.
0: And then you returned to work after three months, is that right?
3: Yes, I had three months uh, completely off, which really well timed. Market baby, he was born on the 14th of December, so I had the Christmas New Year period off where it's quiet anyway. Oh, well done, baby! Yeah, well, well done, Jan. baby! Yeah, he <laughs> was actually due on Christmas Day and came that little bit earlier, so I could have that bit more better time left. So, oh, well hard. done, baby! <laughs> yeah, yes. very well done, <laughs> and after. 11 weeks off, I went back full-time. I did a full month working from home, which was a godsend because I didn't have to bother getting changed or (laughs) shower. Um, (laughs) So I literally literally would stumble out of bed one minute before I had to start and just put on (laughs) my computer downstairs. And then after four weeks, I came back into the office full-time.
1: So when you said that you had three months completely off, was that really completely off? Were you not in touch at all or what did you do?
3: I was still in touch. So I had uh, the first two weeks I didn't touch base with work at all. But you under your maternity leave, you get keeping in touch hours. Yes. Um, so I recorded any time that I spent working and got that added on in time and lieu. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I have eight direct reports. So each week I'd have a session with them just keeping me up to date with what they're doing and then a session with my boss and I'd record all that and that was added to my leave. Yeah. And um, so it actually enabled for me to take more paid leave. Yes. Stretch that period out a bit um, using those days. So I definitely encourage people to use them because quite a few people don't know that that's something that they can take advantage of. Yes.
0: And did you find, you probably don't know because you don't know what it would have been like the other way around, but do you think keeping in touch in that way, particularly where you're in a supervisory role, do you think that helped when you returned with your transition back?
3: I do, but in some ways I think it was a little bit of a negative for me with my baby Mm. um, because straight away from the outset I was focused on how I was getting myself emotionally prepared to go back to work, but I don't feel I completely... Don't. um, gave myself to my son.
2: Mm. And
3: yeah. um, so if I was to do it again, I think I'd have more faith in my team that I have that they really could handle without me being there for three months. Yeah. So I think I'd do that differently.
1: It's really good learning. Cause I think that's true that especially for a first child, when you're a high powered career person, mm. it is really confronting and scary to think that taking time out is going to impact on your career and your work. And it was definitely like that for me. And I took longer off. I had six months off, but I was in touch a little bit, not as much as you were, but I was quite open to coming back at six months. I wasn't desperate to come back, but I was also really like, yes, this is a good thing for me, for my career. People won't have the time to forget me in six months. And I'll be able to, you know, get back on and and keep going where I want to go career wise. But in hindsight, like you, I regretted the fact that at that time, just when my baby was starting to get really interesting (laughs) and I could, you know, go out and do things with the child was when I was going back to work and had less time for them.
3: Yeah, I agree with that, Joe. I think too much of my focus was on going back to work and I reflected after he was a year old and I thought, you know, not that much changed in work over that time period. The firm was very similar, but the changes in my son over that period was substantial. Yeah. And I hadn't missed them because I'm still a very active parent, but there are some activities that I probably would have enjoyed having a little bit more longer with him. Yes. Rather than rushing straight back into work did what I thought was best for my family at the time.
0: So would you take longer off next time,
3: Jane? If we can afford it, I would. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got financial pressures and yes. my husband's a stay-at-home dad. Yes. And so you can't just flip him back into work and me out of work, mm-hmm. which is what you know, a few people say that they say, oh, well, maybe your husband could go back to work for three months. And I'm like, that's great, but he's been <laughs> off work for two years raising our child and I'm pretty sure his salary is not going to be exactly what mine is for a three-month period. So really it's as a family what we can afford.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, the fact that your husband has become a stay at home dad, you know, I'd love to explore that with you some more. So how did you come to make that decision about you going back at three months and and him becoming a stay at home dad? Did you use any other care arrangements? You know, how did you, how did you get to that point?
3: Um, We don't really have any other care arrangement options. Two of our parents are deceased. His mum lives in Newman and my parents have other responsibilities. So we didn't, um, have a lot like grandparents care, which a lot yes. of people can rely on, which I'm very jealous of. Yes, and although it's right for some other people, I just wasn't comfortable putting my son into daycare when he was way too little. Mm. He is in there now, one and a half days a week, and at the moment, just for some socialisation for him, and so my husband can have a break. Yeah, really tough job. We looked at it financially, and we also looked at how our careers impact on our life. I'm very passionate about my career about my firm. And I'm a significant shareholder in my firm. And Sam was like, you know, his job is just a job to him. What did he do beforehand? He was a state sales manager for a toy distribution company. Mm -hmm. And his background's in teaching. So he's great with children. And so just between us, we decided that he'd step into that role and it has been one that he's enjoyed.
1: Mm. And how did he go with that? Because you hear a lot of dads sharing that it's hard because you're the only dad amongst a group of women or, you know, that you don't have any mates because they're all at work doing the traditional male breadwinner role. We interviewed someone a number of episodes ago who took three months off to be with his child. Um, But, you know, you don't often hear of people who are making a longer term decision. So how's your husband gone with it all?
3: Um, I think he's gone really well. It is difficult, but I think it's difficult being a stay-at-home mum as well for whoever's taking the time off. It's a huge change to your day-to-day and the same situation as if you're a stay-at-home mum or a stay-at-home dad or your friends are at work Yes. Um, unless they've just had a baby. But that's where the importance of mothers' groups and parents' groups come into play. And so Sam attends our mothers' group and has just got involved in activities and involved our child, so playgroup, Music classes, swimming lessons, and the like, and so he's changed his like life just as any mother would. Yes, you know, yes. Often he is the only male, but there's many situations that he isn't, um, and there is probably more stay-at-home dads than people realise. Mm. But you know, I'm a female that works at a stockbroking firm, so I'm a lady all the time, <laughs> surrounded by men. So I, in the <laughs> so reverse, you can deal with it, yeah. surrounded by ladies. <laughs> like, That's been my entire career, so um, he can do it for a couple of years.
0: Has he returned to work at all now?
3: He's still at home as a um, primary carer, and we do want to have another baby, so we just didn't feel that there was much point in between, like disrupting our schedule like that. But he'll go back when the kids are older. You just kind of weigh the cost of childcare and someone staying at home and what it looks like and make a decision that suits each family. Yeah, you're right.
1: And when you returned to work yourself, we had a conversation with you over lunch one day, one of our Perth lunches, and you were telling us about some trailblazing stuff that you really, which is how I feel about it, some trailblazing stuff that you were doing regarding breastfeeding at work. Am I right in describing Yes, that? yeah.
3: I was an avid breastfeeder. I'm actually sitting in my breastfeeding room now, actually. No, oh. I don't express at work anymore, but um, I did express until he was 13 months. Um, and I'm still breastfeeding him, but now only morning and night. So
1: tell me about um, this breastfeeding room. How did you get one of those?
3: So firstly, everyone should have a breastfeeding room because you should have the right to be able to request that from your employer. Um, I'm very lucky because I'm in a position within my firm that I can affect this change and just make it happen. Yes. So we have one in Perth, and then I travel to our Sydney and Melbourne offices. So they also have them in place in our Sydney and Melbourne offices. Great. They're not my breastfeeding rooms because obviously anyone can breastfeed in them. They just haven't been used by anyone else yet. <laughs> <laughs> the requirements for breastfeeding facilities aren't laborious on an organisation. You just need a room with a lock, a fridge, a PowerPoint, and a comfortable chair. Yes. And that's all you really need. And, but I have spoken to so many people who are, you know, forced to do it in some basement office or and, in the toilet. The toilet, yeah. and the to- toilets is disgusting. Like yes. I've had to do that like three times and I've been so thankful that that wasn't my experience. Yes. And I'm, I am sure that if I do, did have to do it in the toilets, I wouldn't have breastfed for as long as mm-hmm. I had, mm-hmm. but returning to work when he was 16 weeks old, like in a full-time capacity in the office, I would have been expressing three times a day. It didn't take a long time for me. So I was really lucky. It was fine. Like I was, I was fine in this capacity to do that. Mm
0: -hmm. So you organized the space for you to express comfortably. And then how did you manage organizing the time for you to take those breaks? How did you organize your work around that? Did you have a set schedule or did you just go when your boobs felt full?
3: (laughs) I would actually blanket out in my calendar as space because otherwise sometimes I'd, Forget. Yes. And also I was very honest telling people what I was doing. Yes. So they would know that that's a requirement for me, otherwise I would start leaking in a meeting. (laughs) Um, so it was just blanked it was just blanked out for periods in my calendar. You know, when he was younger. As he got older, you've got more flexibility with Mm. how often you have to do it.
1: Yeah. So what would you suggest to someone who is looking to return to work and and wants to be breastfeeding after they return to work? If you got some kind of key strategies. Um, I
3: found going through our HR department was really useful because they have a really strong understanding of legislation and so you have that to back you up. Mm -hmm. But just ask for it really and don't be embarrassed by it. I mean, breastfeeding is completely natural and something that even if your bosses are male, it's more than likely that they've had experience with people breastfeeding in their life Mm. Um, and they're not going to deny your baby that right. Yes. Um, And the benefit for my company of me returning to work far outweighed anything they had to do to put some facilities like a fridge in place yes it's pretty minor in the scheme of things The, the biggest inconvenience was on myself not on my organization yes
1: and what about some other challenges i know that you recently had to do a whirlwind trip to london how do you cope with traveling for work with breastfeeding still and and leaving your child Uh, I've
3: only actually just started leaving my child. So I think after I was back for two weeks, we started traveling as a family for my work.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And
3: so my baby's done 19 flights before he was born.
0: Wow. And am I right, Jane, that your work contributed to the cost of your husband's flights to come and care for him?
3: We would pay for the flights or we'd use points for the flights. Obviously, the baby was free, but they would pay for special cars that would include car seats, ah, or Bub's yeah. Taxi, yeah, and great. and a different accommodation. Yeah. So rather than a hotel room for me, we'd get a two-bedroom service department, mm. uh, particularly as he was a little older because he's in your room. He just is like... Milk all this time, and you're like shut up. Yes,
1: <laughs> and those gorgeous baby noises, like we're hearing from Harry in the Aww. background, are lovely. But when you're trying to sleep at night, sometimes you really don't want to hear them.
3: <laughs> no, and when he was very little, he was easy to travel with on the plane because he'd sleep through the whole thing. When he got around one, yeah, I think everyone who has a child <laughs> would understand. You're like, <laughs> yes. you know what? We're not doing this anymore. Yeah. So now, for the most part, when I travel, I only go try and do two nights away if it's possible,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and I, I still express while I'm away.
1: So how did you manage London then?
3: London was more challenging because it's international so you can't just carry milk around all over the place. <laughs> yeah. um, so I had to throw it out, which was disappointing. I never, you know, liquid gold and I'm like, oh, getting rid of my milk. Mm. But I expressed on the plane and I was a little nervous about, I know legally I'm allowed to express in my seat. Yeah. But although I've been very comfortable breastfeeding in public.
0: It's different, isn't it? Yeah. You have the noise as well, which attracts attention. And you look like a fembot.
3: <laughs> um, and so I think, I think less people would have been exposed to expressing. Yes. And it, that would be quite confronting. So I did use the toilets, which is disgusting, but at least I was just throwing out the milk, hey. And also, I mean, he's 16 months old, so I do only have to express once on each flight.
0: Yeah. One of our previous guests, who I think you've met actually, Jane, Jessica, she exclusively expressed for her daughter and took for about a year or just over a year, I think. And she expressed on a plane and she got to the point because she was exclusively expressing, she was doing it all the time and she ended up just doing it anywhere and everywhere. But I agree with you. For me, I I'd kind of be a bit, a little bit more cautious. It's just different. Like you say, people haven't been exposed to it.
3: It is. And I think if I'd had to travel for work, because I exclusively expressed also, he still never had formula. I think if he didn't travel with me earlier on, I would have just got used to expressing on a plane. But because I had my baby with me till he was over one on every flight, I didn't kind of break it through he, that he, comfort barrier. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, but power to her if she, if she did that. And you yeah. know, the more people that do it, the more normalized it becomes for Actually everyone Exactly
1: right. hmm It's so great that that you've been able to do this and that you're willing to share about it here as well because I think it's such a support for other women who want to return to work and are really struggling with some of these issues like how to use breastfeeding. And I know that you're a huge supporter of women because you're also um, a representative on the Stockbrokers and Financial Advisors Association and they've got a special women in stockbroking working group. That's right? Uh That's correct, yeah. Have you always had interest in groups like this or is it something that's strengthened since having children?
3: I think it's something that's strengthened both by having children, but also with age. I think when you first start out in your career, um, you're just kind of gung-ho and you're not seeing a lot of the issues that exist for women because it may not directly impact you, but you see them as you get further along. I think someone once said to me, if you haven't hit a glass ceiling yet, it's because you haven't climbed high enough. So for entry level, that may be a difference for when you get more senior in your career, even or when you have children particularly. Yes. But that's why it's important that men do stay home and men take parental leave and men stay home when a child's sick and it's not a women's issue. Yes. It's a humanity issue that we reproduce, so...
1: we'd be in a bit of trouble if we stopped that wouldn't we (laughs) you
3: would think so yeah
1: that reminds me of um our past guest katrina mcleod who is an employer um she has no children herself but she's very strong in her support for women and and men in her organization that are having children because she says you know we as society all need the the next people to come along and, and work and do what needs to be done so
3: Uh, Correct and the same with I mean our head of age uh, is female but she doesn't have children but she's a huge proponent of women's rights within the workplace yeah
0: Hmm. it is important
3: for society yeah so true
0: so having been back at work for just over a year now or just about a year have your career goals changed in that time now that you have your son
3: yes and no so I don't want to overpack my calendar so I think my the willingness to spread myself really thin. I resigned for one of, from one of the boards that I was on just because I didn't feel I could adequately do everything. Yeah. To set high goals for myself would still be in existence. The timeline for which I have to achieve them may have changed because I'm willing to make myself unavailable for my children, particularly at this stage of their lives. Like they're little and it's more important for me to be with them than to try and jump up a rung on the ladder. That will actually wait.
1: Mm. It's so true. I mean, I've got three of them and there was a time after I had that third, probably when he was about two, that I started getting so involved in so many different things. And I've done the same thing as you in the last year. I've sort of gone, I need to divest a few things. Well, Lucy's always telling me to say no. so I'm smirking here because I'm thinking, I'm
0: pretty sure you are still involved in quite a lot of things
1: well I have got rid of one thing and there's two others that are on the agenda to (laughs) ease my way out of in about six months when they can sort of come to a natural end
0: it is a balance though isn't it and I've spoken we've spoken about this before because I think I'm the opposite to the two of you and I just don't do things because I'm like oh well I want the time to be with my family so I don't do any of the extra things and I think there is a balance between making yourself available or putting yourself out there to do things that you would otherwise do and not kind of denying yourself those opportunities versus saying yes to everything and spreading yourself thin, like you say, Joan.
3: You're literally doing a podcast with your baby strapped yes. you? I don't think you're <laughs> away from doing what lots- so different things.
1: I say that too all the time. Okay. <laughs> One of our episodes, I said to Lucy, You're giving yourself a hard time, and you've already done how many things since having Harry? Yeah.
0: No, I'm not giving myself a hard time. I just
1: mean it in terms of the okay, I'll just stop. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what I mean by <laughs> that. <I'm not. laughs> Let's move on. We have a couple of questions, Jane, that mm-hmm. we ask everybody. Okay. And Lucy's favorite Do you have a mantra,
0: Jane? Words that you live by?
3: My favourite one at the moment is Don't Kick the Ladder Out from Underneath You on the Way Up. Oh, that's cool. That I have seen lots of examples of women, particularly in stockbroking, who may have struggled to get to where they are and so feel that other people have to have a hard journey to get to where they are as well. Yes. And my biggest thing for women is just don't do that. Make it easier. If you had a hard journey, well, how nice would it have been if you didn't have to do that? Yeah. And women shouldn't have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Just work the same and be competent. Yeah. But so that would be my one at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Really yeah, And to give you one other opportunity to give a piece of advice to any other professional women out there who are doing the managing of the juggle, what would you say?
3: Percy? Well done. It's way harder than I expected. And I have so much more admiration for women that are doing this. Just really stand up for your rights. And if people aren't giving that to you, I would really question your employer. And if you want to be part of that business, because what you're doing is amazing. And it's for the better of your family and for humanity, as we said, and having babies and the like. And so make sure that you're working for someone who really has your back and is willing to make that transition for you, one that's positive for both sides.
0: That's good advice. It's funny, we've actually got an episode coming up talking about those kinds of topics about how your values kind of shift after you have children and how you start to see the world in a different way. And I agree with you that if the people who you're working for and with do not have the same values as you do you really want to be spending your time with them
3: you can advocate like try so try and change their values or and educate them as to why they're wrong but you you hit a a point when you get down to what you're spending your time on you don't need to be spending your time trying to convince people that women have a place in the workforce
1: Yeah, yeah so true thank you so much for sharing with us pleasure
0: Thank you for listening to today's interview with Jane. This episode was the last of our sponsored episodes from MLC Advice Canberra. So make sure you get in touch with Michael Miller if you've got any other questions about your own financial planning. You can contact him at www.michaelmiller.help.
1: And if you enjoyed our episode, then please don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player of choice and leave us a review. It really helps other people find our show. If you want to continue the conversation with us, come and join us in our Facebook group, The Juggle Community. You can find all the links to all of these things at our website, www.thejuggle.com.au. See you next time. Happy juggling.